0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, today is the last week in our series, Different Together. This series has been all about how we can love one another across lines that normally separate and divide people in our society. Uh, Across generations and political views and personalities and race. And uh, I don't know about you, but this has been a challenging series for me in a really good way. I'm really thankful that as a church we've been wrestling with these topics, especially in a season like this. I'm also looking forward to the series we're about to start next week. We are going to be jumping into the book of Genesis. This is where our Bible-savvy reading plan is at uh, over the course of the next month or so, and so we're going to be digging in. We're going to spend four weeks in Genesis. We're going to talk about the four different generations of Abraham's family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and hopefully this will uh, help you as we're reading along as a church in the Bible-savvy reading plan and our goal of being in the Bible every single day this year. You won't want to miss it. But today, we are talking about how to be different together across economics. And when I say that, I'm not talking about economic views, you know, capitalism and socialism and Keynesianism and all that sort of thing. I'm talking about the reality that within this church, there are some people who have a lot more money and some people who have a lot less money. There are some of you here today that if you needed to spend $100 today, it would be a real challenge. You'd wonder where that was going to come from. There are others of you who if you needed to spend $1,000 or even $10,000, you might not notice it. How do we relate to each other in a community like that? Now I wanna acknowledge this is an awkward topic because it's a reality that all of us know, right? I didn't tell you anything surprising, but what I just said might've made you go, because even though we know there's great disparity in how much money people have, we don't talk about it openly. it's embarrassing, it's awkward, so we don't look at it. So let me just speak just really directly about this. Our church, Christ Community Church, feels to a lot of people like a rich church. I I know it's different at different campuses, things feel different in different pockets of our church, but overall that's how it feels. Uh, No one is acting snooty about what they have, but the truth is our church has kind of an upper middle class vibe to it, And sometimes you hear people talk about the communities that we live in, and even our church, almost as if there aren't a lot of people who struggle financially. That most people are fairly well off. And and I just want to say that that is simply not true. Okay, I'm just going to pick on the town that I live live in. So I live in in St. Charles, which is considered a a middle class or an upper upper middle class community. But did you know that the high school that my kids will go to, at at that high school, 20% of the students are eligible for free lunches, which means their family doesn't make enough money, so the school buys them lunch when they're there. That's one in five kids. One of the elementary schools in our district is a Title I school. That means there are enough low-income families there that they qualify for uh, extra support and uh, federal programming and and funding for that. So that's about 40% of the school has to be that way. There is plenty of financial need, even in a community that is rightly considered a wealthy area. And here's the reason I point this out, because when you live in a community or you go to a church where people act like everybody is fairly well off, if you aren't, if you are struggling financially, if you don't have a lot of money, that's an uncomfortable place to be. It's not like anybody's doing anything intentional, you know? Like, they're, no one's trying to make you feel excluded, but you can't help but notice when you pull in, in your 2004 Corolla, that you're parked next to a Tesla, and you hear people talking about the vacation they went on to the home that they own in Florida where they go every year. It might be something even really simple. You're in a community group and you're asked to bring snacks next week. And this week though, someone brought this spread and it's like cheeses and dips and a couple of desserts and these little drinks and stuff. And you, you're thinking about it. It's like, this costs like 50, 75 bucks. I, and you think all I'm gonna be able to do is bring a bag of chips and a jar of salsa. Or maybe your daughter's friends are all excited about a trip that Student Ministries is doing, and, and they're thinking, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to go on. It's going to be so much fun. And your daughter wants to go, and you know that if she's going to go, you're going to have to go to the church. You're going to have to talk to a pastor, and you're going to ask for a scholarship. And you're not worried that there's you know, not going to be money there. You'll get the scholarship. Your daughter will be able to go. But you feel the embarrassment of having to do, go through that process. Or maybe someone from the church, a group of people, they say, hey, let's hang out together. Let's go do something. And you feel really welcomed in. You're thinking, this is going to be great. People want to hang out. But then they say, we're going to go to this new restaurant. It's really great. But it's kind of a pricey place. And you know that at home, your groceries this month, they were supplemented by a box from the food bank. And so you want to be in that community, but you can't afford to be a part of it. Or maybe you hear some parents, and they're talking about when the school boundaries were redrawn a year or so ago, and uh, now their kids have to go to school with kids from that neighborhood. And you know what neighborhood I'm talking about. Well, of course you know what neighborhood they're talking about because it's the neighborhood you live in. People aren't doing things that are, are overt or malicious or intentionally trying to hurt people, but they send a message of what is normal in the community, who belongs in this place. And the net effect of all of these things is that a lot of people end up feeling ashamed of their situation, and they feel on the edges or the outside of the community. Now, of course, those who are on the wealthier side of things say, well, that, that sounds uh, uncomfortable, but what am I supposed to do about it? I mean, you know, I don't want anybody to feel bad, but I don't, I don't want to feel guilty for what I have. I mean, I didn't do anything wrong to have it. How are Christ followers supposed to relate to each other across economic lines? Now, this is potentially a very big topic. I'm not gonna be able to address any everything. So let me tell you three things we're not gonna be talking about today. First, I'm not gonna be talking about personal finance management, money management. The Bible has a lot to say practically about how to deal with debt and build wealth and those sorts of things. And as a church, we love to, people, love to help people find financial freedom. Uh, if you're in a situation where you'd like some help with that, we'd love to help you. You can go to our website at ccclife.org slash what's next, and you'll find links to uh, our financial freedom ministry. But I'm not gonna be talking about that in this message. I'm also not going to be talking about how to solve the bigger societal problem of poverty. The Bible has a lot of wisdom about the the structures and the patterns in society that lead to poverty, keep people poor, but we're not going to be talking about that today. I'm also not going to be talking much about tithing. Uh, The Bible teaches that all Christ followers should contribute 10% of their income to the ministry of their local church. And the passage we're looking at today does talk about generosity and giving, but it assumes tithing. It's more talking about kind of above and beyond sorts of things. So we're not talking about tithing today. Instead, this message is primarily about how we see ourselves and how we see other people, whether they're rich or poor, and how that changes the way we relate to each other across socioeconomic lines. You guys ready for this? All right, if you got a Bible, turn with me to the New Testament letter of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. While you find that, let me give you some context for this passage, okay? There are three groups of people you need to know about to understand what's going on. The first is the Corinthians. The Corinthians are the recipient of this letter. Uh, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul. And the main thing you need to know about the Corinthians is that they are rich. They live in a, a big trading town in the Roman Empire, so a lot of money comes through that town. Doesn't mean everybody in the church is wealthy, but there's a whole lot more money there than a lot of the other churches that Paul deals with. The other group of people you need to know about are the churches in Jerusalem. The churches in Jerusalem are poor. They are going through a really tough situation. They're under persecution. There's a famine in the area. And for a number of years, they have really struggled. And so Paul has been traveling around to the churches that he planted and the churches around the Roman Empire. And as he's going, he is raising money for the poor church in Jerusalem. And so the last time he goes to Corinth, he he tells them about this. They get super excited. They're like, we'd love to contribute to that. It would be, it'd be wonderful to be a part of it. So count us in. And so the next time Paul comes around about a year later, they've already promised, they said, we're going to collect some money, we're going to have it for you, and you can take it to Jerusalem when you go there. But Paul has heard that even though they promised to give the money, they haven't actually started collecting anything, and he's about to show up again, and so he's wondering, are they really going to do it? Are they really going to do it? And so he's writing this letter saying, hey guys, this could be really awkward when I come in because there's some people counting on this, we, you know, you made a big deal out of it, and it doesn't seem like you've got anything, so where are things at? And as he's talking them, to them about this, he brings up another group of people. He brings up the churches of Macedonia. Uh, Macedonia is a place where the Philippians, the Thessalonians, and some of the other groups you might have heard of live, and they are a group of poor churches. They're not as uh, struggling as the Jerusalem churches, but they're not in a good place like the Corinthians. And so this is where we pick it up in chapter, uh, in verse one of chapter eight. Let me read this to you. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Talking about the people in Jerusalem. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, but then by the will of God, also to us. Let's thank God for speaking to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's the first thing I want you to see in this passage. No matter how little money you have, in Christ, you are rich. In Christ, you are rich. Look at the way the Macedonian churches are acting. Look at the way they're using their money. And I want you to ask the question, does this look like the behavior of rich people or poor people? Okay, so look again at verse 2. Paul emphasizes the fact that they're poor. He mentions their severe trial and their extreme poverty, and yet... Paul says they're exhibiting rich generosity, rich generosity. They they hear about the Jerusalem church, and Paul says they asked what they can do entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded to take part. They saw it as a privilege to participate. So they're saying, let us give money to the Jerusalem church. We want to, to be a part of the project. Now, is this the behavior of people who are rich or people who are poor? At the very least, it's the behavior of someone who perceives that they've got more than enough to meet their needs. They have more than enough money. They can help someone else. They can go above and beyond. Why are they acting this way? A person who perceives that they don't have a lot of money doesn't usually do this. So why are they doing this? It's because they have let it sink into their hearts that in Christ, no matter what the outward circumstances are, they are in fact rich. What does that mean that we are rich in Christ? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God has promised that you have, if you have faith in him, he will make you financially wealthy in this life. There, there's a, a, a very dangerous teaching out there that says if you've got enough faith, God will make you successful and wealthy and healthy in this life. You just gotta trust him. Now, if you just read through the New Testament, you know that is obviously not true. You, you can see all sorts of examples of people who are following Jesus and it does not make their life rich or easier. The opposite, in fact. Even in this passage, there are three examples of Christ followers in poverty, okay? You've got the Jerusalem Christians, you've got the Macedonian churches, and you have Paul himself. Er Earlier in the book, Paul describes the persecution and the trouble and the loss that he's been through, and he describes himself this way. He says, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. Everything. Being rich in Christ does not mean you will be financially wealthy in this life. So what does it mean? In what ways does being in Christ actually make you rich? It it helps to have kind of a wider view of what we mean when we talk about poverty. Uh, Poverty is not simply a lack of financial resources. Poverty actually strips away some really important aspects of being human from people. But being in Christ restores those things. Let, let, Let me highlight a few of them. One of them is security security in christ you can say my needs are met my needs are met so jesus taught his followers not to worry he said look around look at the the birds of the air look at the flowers of the field look at all of these little creatures god takes care of them and if god takes care of them he certainly will take care of you as his children as a loving father he'll make sure your needs are met so do not worry and you can walk into any church in the world and you will find all kinds of stories." About needs being met, big needs, small needs, being met in ordinary ways and in extraordinary, miraculous ways all over the place. Now, I don't know what your financial situation is right now, uh, but I know that some of you are in a hard place. And if you are, we would love to come alongside you. Uh, If you would uh, text us, we would love to pray for you. We've got a prayer team standing by right now. Text the number on the screen and we'll be in touch with you about that. Uh, just this week, I heard a story of a woman who uh, was going, to, who went through uh, cancer treatment, and she had a number of medical bills that they needed to pay. And a group of people uh, heard about this and said, we would love to collect some money to help with some of those bills. And so they did. And when she got the check, she added up all of her bills. And you know how much they had given? Enough to cover all of the bills plus $7. Isn't that amazing? Th- this is the sort of thing that happens all the time. God has promised that in Christ, our needs are met. Our needs are met. Here's the second way that in Christ, God makes us rich. In Christ, we receive dignity. Dignity. Even the poor can say, I am respected by God and by my community. Now, this is really difficult because people who are poor are often looked down upon. It's assumed that they're, they're a failure in some way or that they have bad character and that's the reason they're poor. If they're not looked down upon, they're just ignored. They're, people are oblivious to their situation. And if they aren't ignored... They're pitied. Now, on the flip side, in our culture, rich people uh, get looked at, and people assume, you know, they they must be doing something right, you know? Otherwise, they, they wouldn't be wealthy. They must be living well. They've got something figured out, and so their leadership is sought out, and their voice gets heard, and they get held up as examples, as successful people. But within the church, we don't assume that, or at least we shouldn't, and Paul certainly doesn't. When you look at the leadership of the early church, when you read through the New Testament and say, who are the leaders of each of these churches? You don't just see wealthy people, which would have been the default in that culture. You see working class people. You even see slaves in the lists of leaders. In this passage, Paul holds up the poor Macedonian church as an example to the rich Corinthian church. They are giving an example of what godliness looks like. Now, the Corinthians, they may end up giving a larger gift in terms of quantity, But in this situation, the poor Macedonians are the financial leaders. They're the ones being held up with honor and dignity for what they're doing. In Christ, we have dignity. The third way that Christ makes the poor rich is by giving them hope. Hope. Being rich in every culture gives you permission to believe that your future might be good, that good things are in store for you. But what poverty does is it shortens the horizon for people. It makes people feel like they're always going to be stuck in this situation and things will not change. It's always going to be kind of like this. But Christ shatters that because he gives us a hope that isn't dependent on our current situation. The the big thing about Jesus is he was raised from the dead, right? So if Jesus conquered death, that means death itself is not final. And if death isn't final, no problem is permanent. No problem is permanent. Things will not always be this way. A new creation is coming where there will be no poverty. A kingdom where every need will be met and every desire fulfilled. The story is not over right here. But this isn't just a hope for the distant future. This isn't just something that maybe one day will help, but doesn't really do any good in the here and now. The reality of hope is this. Hope unlocks people to say, I can actually take action now And do something about my situation. Hope that things won't always be this way. Frees you up to say, maybe there's new possibilities here. And this leads to the fourth thing that Christ gives. Agency. Christ gives the poor agency. Agency is the belief that your actions make a difference. That your actions make a difference. One of the big contrasts between those who have more money and less money is how much they believe that their actions can change their situation or the situations of people around them. Poverty makes you feel like you have no options and your actions don't matter. But in Jesus, not only does he meet our needs, but he actually uses us to meet the needs of other people. We, we get brought into his mission. We join in his mission to restore a broken world. And he says, your actions matter. They don't just matter here and now. They matter eternally. Our labor is not in vain. You can do something to change things. And that's the reason the Macedonians said we can make a difference with the Jerusalem church. We might only have a little bit to give, but it matters, it matters. Christ gives us agency. When Michelle and I were first married in our 20s, we didn't have a lot of money. Michelle was a first year teacher and I was in school and so we were on a really tight budget. So we had enough, we would tithe and we would pay our bills and buy our groceries, but beyond that, we didn't have much more room with that. But we decided we didn't want to be stuck in a scarcity mindset. Like we only had enough for ourselves. And so we said, we're gonna put a line in our budget called the generosity fund, okay? The generosity fund. You know how much was in that fund? $25 a month, so $25 a month. And that was a stretch for us. We're like, we're gonna do this. But we, we thought we are part of God's mission. We are called to be a blessing to others, not just to ourselves, so we're gonna do this. And so every single month we'd be on the lookout. How are we gonna use the generosity fund? What are we gonna do for people? And, and sometimes it was something like we'd have a friend that was going on a go team through our church and uh, we, we'd say, okay, we're gonna help fund this with $25, that's all we had, so we'd give it. Or there'd be a disaster, a hurricane or something like that and we say, hey, we're gonna help with relief. There's where our $25 goes. Someone, uh, foster parents get new children and they uh, need some uh, clothes, so we're gonna buy an outfit for the baby and we're gonna spend the $25. Most of the time what we did was this. We would buy a meal for someone so that we had a chance to talk with them. Someone going through a hard time, someone who was discouraged, someone who needed help in some way, we, we'd buy them a meal. Usually what we do is we'd actually make them a meal. We'd bring them into our home, the $25 would go further, and we'd sit down and we'd pray for them, we'd talk through things and let them know they weren't alone. Because we thought our, our actions can make a difference. And I'll tell you this, it made us feel rich. It made us feel like we can go above and beyond. We're not caught in our budget like this. It made us feel like that little boy with the the lunch that he gave to Jesus, you know, five loaves and two fishes, not much, but you want to feed 5,000? You can do that, Jesus. In Christ, we have agency. Now, if Christ has given us security and dignity and hope and agency, that means that whatever it might look like on the surface, in Christ, you are rich. And if that is true, it means you don't need to envy the rich, you don't need to resent the rich, You don't need to look at people who have more than you and compare yourself to them. You don't have to pander to them or suck up to them. You are free from that because you are, in reality, rich. I remember sitting in worship at Galilee Baptist Church in Panola, Alabama. In Panola, Alabama, the the median household income is $19,000, and 39% of people are below the federal poverty line. So, I was leading a trip with a group of high school students from my church, and we were uh, worshiping there. And so, we told the high school students, you know, uh, you got to make sure you've got church clothes for this, okay? So, we're going to be, be here. And so, uh, the, the, the boys brought their best. So, it was like, you know, khakis and tucked in shirts and collars and stuff. So, they felt like they were really dressed up. And uh, we had some uh, girls there, and they wore, you know, you know, casual skirts, but, you know, nice skirts. And uh, they're, they're there feeling like, okay, we're dressed up for a church. But then the members of that church walked in, and every one of them, was dressed in a suit and a tie or a nice dress with a fancy hat polished shoes a, you know little pocket square they looked good they wore the one and only nice outfit they had that i'm sure they had to stretch in order to have so that when they showed up at church they were dressed well why would they do that because they knew that in christ They had dignity and hope, and they made a difference, and they mattered, and they were rich, and they wanted to reflect that. When they stood before God to worship him, they wanted to say, this is what is true about us in Christ. In Christ, we are rich, no matter what it looks like on the outside. Here's the second thing I want you to see today. No matter how much money you have, in Christ, we are family. We are family. Uh, Take a look at 2 Corinthians again. Look at verse 13. Paul is explaining to the Corinthians, he's saying, hey, when I'm asking for help for Jerusalem, I'm not asking you to go so far that your own needs aren't being met. I'm asking you to simply think about where you have excess and extra. So let's look at verse 13. It says this, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. God the Father has given more than enough, more than enough for all of his children to have their needs met. The problem is it isn't spread out evenly. It isn't spread out evenly. Uh, Paul here talks in terms of plenty and need. He's saying some of God's children have plenty more than they need. Some of God's children have needs less than they need. But this is just the way things are. It's just the way things are. Paul's not trying to make anybody feel guilty about that, make them feel bad about the fact of that situation. But what he is doing is this, saying just because this is the way things are right now doesn't mean it's the way things should stay. Paul is simply saying, when you find yourself in a situation where your needs are met, you're supposed to, at that point, not say, what more can I do for myself? At that point, you're supposed to stop and say, "What, what other needs aren't being met in the community? And out of your excess, your plenty, you're supposed to meet that need. It's that simple. And he says the goal here is equality. Now, I know that some of you, as I was reading that verse, were thinking, that sounds like wealth redistribution. That sounds like socialism. And to that I say, no, it sounds like family. It sounds like family. Because Paul isn't talking about what the government should or shouldn't do to solve poverty. He's not talking about forcing anyone to do anything. He's talking about what should happen willingly within the family of God. This is what we should do as a family. So let's say I go home today. I go out, you know, to drive my car home. And when I go out there, my car won't stop, start. So I, I turn it on, nothing happens. Turns out the starter's bad. It's going to cost me four or $500 to, to get this thing fixed. I tell a friend about this situation. And you know what my friend says? He's going to say, do you have enough money to pay for that? Now, I'm going to tell my wife about this situation too. And when she hears about it, she's going to say, do we have enough money to pay for that? Why would she say that? It's because if it's a problem for me, if my car is broken down, it's a problem for her, right? It's just assumed my needs are her needs. Let's say we pray for this and we say, God, we really need to find the money to pay for this. Will you provide for us? And the next day, Michelle gets a phone call and uh, there's a a parent who wants her to uh, tutor their their son or daughter uh, for the next eight weeks in math. And so that's what Michelle does. And so uh, she's gonna get paid $500 to, to tutor for the next eight weeks. And so she tells me, she says, isn't it amazing how God provided for us, for us, right? Why would she do that? That isn't money that I worked for. That isn't money I earned. That is, that's something that she did. Why would she say it's providing for us? Well, it makes sense because we're family, right? So my needs are her needs and her uh, wealth and provision is ours. We share both of them equally. Is that wealth redistribution? No, it's not really. It's because we're family, we're family. Now, I am not suggesting that everybody at our church should have a common bank account, pool all our money, pay all our bills together. Like that would get weird and strange. But what I'm saying is this, we ought to be challenged by the fact that within the church, we are not random strangers. We are family. Uh, Another Christian in need is not some poor person over there that you can choose to ignore. They're a brother or sister. And when your family is in need, you don't think about it. You just say, what can I do to help? What What might that look like? I would recommend starting in a simple place. Start with your community group or with the people that you serve with here at church. It can be so easy to treat your community group as a time to hang out and socialize and that feels good or a time to simply study and learn things and that's really important. But you can use those things to avoid really digging into each other's lives. So I challenge you, start paying attention when people share needs as you're having a conversation or you're sharing prayer requests. And as they share, ask yourself this question. If this were my mom, or my brother, or my daughter, and they brought this up, what would I be willing to offer to help? Now, that's gonna be a challenging question, but I want you to see what the, where the spirit leads. What would I do? How would I act if this were a family member? So someone has an unexpected bill. You decide, well, I'm gonna chip in to help pay for that. Or their car breaks down, and you say, you know what? you can borrow one of my cars for the, for the next couple of weeks while you get that figured out. Or, or you offer to drive them to work or whatever they need. Or they lose their job. And so you decide, you know, I'm going to actually hire them. I was going to do some work on my house, but I can afford to hire them. So I'm going to pay them to do that work. Or maybe you have them over to your house once a week and you feed them dinner and make them a meal and send them home with leftovers just to take the edge off and give them a chance to connect with people. Or you pass along clothes that your kids outgrew, or you offer an interest free loan out of your emergency fund or your savings. These are the sorts of things that family members would do for each other automatically. And we should do it for each other as family in the church. What's wonderful about it is it's relational. It's something that you offer to them. And in the future, if you're in need, they have a chance to reciprocate and do that. That's how family members support each other. And you never know, it might actually lead to bigger and more daring things. So when Michelle and I were in our early marriage again, I was about to graduate from school and I didn't have a job lined up. And at the same time, Michelle, who was now in her second or third year of teaching, uh, she got cut, okay? It was about 2008. The budget uh, went down in her school district, and so her job got riffed, and we didn't know what we were going to do. So neither of us have jobs. I'm about to graduate. What do we do? And then we found out Michelle was pregnant. So we were in a tough place now by no means were we impoverished we weren't in poverty but we didn't know what we were going to do the future was uncertain and it was going to cost us we had school loans and all sorts of stuff we didn't know what was going to happen so we went to our community group and we said would you pray for us about this that's the natural thing to do and then a week or so later we got uh, we heard from some people in our community group matt and jen and they said you know we've been thinking about it and you guys know that we just bought a house and we bought a house that's bigger than we can use. We want to have a family, and so we got four bedrooms. But we've only got one kid right now, and so we got some extra space. Would you want to move in with us? You can take the upstairs bedrooms, but we'll uh, share the common spaces. And we would tell people, "Oh yeah, we're we're renting the rooms." But it was like a, a hippy dippy situation. Where we're just you know we're just two families living in the same house. It was really cool. And so we did this. We did this. And they told us, you know, as long as you guys are out of work, you don't need to pay any rent. We're not going to charge you anything. You just you're just going to stay with us. And if you do get jobs, you know, during the time that you're here, um, you can just pay us a fraction of what you were paying at your your old apartment. It was because of their generous hospitality because they treated us like family members that Michelle and I were able to weather a really difficult moment in our, our lives. And not only that, but when we did actually finally get jobs, it enabled us to save up some money so that we could actually uh, save for a down payment on a house, something that we probably weren't going to be able to do anytime soon uh, without that. That's the powerful effect of treating each other as family within the church. One of the other, uh, other amazing things about treating each other as family is family is one of the few places in the world where you can have your needs met and your dignity preserved In a healthy family, when you go to your your brother or your mother or your cousin and you say, can you help me? They don't shame you. They don't patronize you. They just help because one day it might be reversed. You might be helping them. That's what it says in verse 14. Paul says, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. An author I really like, his name, Paul Miller, he says it this way. He says, only when the other becomes my brother or sister only when objects of pity become people, even friends, do we create a divine community. Only then does Jesus' beauty emerge in us. No matter how much money you have, in Christ, we are family. Uh, one last thing I want you to see in this passage, and it will help lead us into communion. No matter how much you sacrifice, no matter how much you sacrifice, God gave more. Look at what it says in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the engine that makes all of this work. This is what levels the playing field. The Son of God, the richest, most privileged being in all of existence, chose to become a human being And not a human being with wealth and power and status, but a poor working class peasant. God chose to become poor so that we might become rich. And that thought should both humble us and elevate us. Because if Christ had to become poor to save us, then the richest among us aren't as well off as we think. If that's what it took, if he had to come that low, we have nothing to boast about. If Christ has come to make us rich, though, the poorest among us can hold our heads up high. Because Christ has raised, uh, God has raised us from the dead with Christ. If Christ has become poor, none of us, none of us can say, God, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't know what it's like. He can say to us, though, actually, I do. I know from personal experience what it's like to be where you're at. God became poor so that we might become rich. And that's the reason when we gather around the communion table, we gather as equals At this table, we are all poor beggars in need, waiting to be fed. At this table, we are all wealthy, honored guests of the king, eager for the feast. At this table, we are family, because Jesus' broken body and shed blood has made us all sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are open-handed and generous with us. Jesus, we praise you that you willingly became poor, took on our need and our sorrow so that we might be made rich. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in us so that we would love others the way you have loved us, that we would give of what we have above and beyond so that other people's needs might be met. Make us family in you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.